This is Ivan Stegic, host of the 107 podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Otherwise, you'll know this is not how we usually open an episode. We're doing a survey of our listeners, that's you, and we'd love for you to participate. Would you consider helping us? You can take the survey online at 107.com/survey, and if you're listening on the episode page itself, just click on the gray bar at the top of the page. Thank you. And now on to the episode. Hey everyone, you're listening to the 107 podcast where we get together every fortnight and sometimes more often to talk about technology, business and the humans in it. I'm your host Ivan Stegic. My guest today is C Jason Clark, CEO of Via Studio digital craftsmen and communicators from Louisville, Kentucky. He's been in this industry since 1990, and as El Conquistador of Via, he's the one responsible for their unique and professional image. He's the company's visionary. Also an art collector, world traveler, cook, and musician. Another one of those people I met at Owner Camp. Jason, it's a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Yvonne, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, let's start with C. Jason Clark. I just noticed that it's actually C in your email signature. What does that C stand for? Uh, the C stands for Charles. Um, and for whatever weird reason, all the men in my family on my dad's side go by their middle names. No idea why that happened or how, but that's just the way it is. It's a great, great way to sort yourself or... Make yourself stand out from the crowd. See Jason. I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. So let's start at the beginning. I think you're a native to Louisville, Kentucky, aren't you? Yes, born so, and raised. So tell me about where you were born and what that was like growing up. Sure. Um, grew up very solidly in the lower middle class um, in Louisville. We went to South Carolina until um, I was about five when my dad was in the Navy um, and then came back. So for all intents and purposes, I was, I've been in Louisville my whole life. Um, grew up, again, fairly, fairly poor, lower middle class, very redneck part of the country that was uh, difficult for a weirdo like myself. Um, luckily, I found a way out. <laughs> Why were you a weirdo? It's hard to say that without introducing a lot of redneck and racist uh, tropes into the conversation. But the the part of town that I grew up in was not very kind to people who were uh, not not gun toting racists. So you were more. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not gun toting and not a racist. Okay, check. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> okay, so you spent time uh, visiting South Carolina. You said your dad was in the Navy. Um, did you go to college in Louisville? What What did you study? Uh, I actually started in graphic arts in high school. There was a vocational program when I was in high school that was um, that did graphic arts. Uh, this was before the Mac came around, so it was a more interesting version of what we do now, if you will. Um, printing presses and machines, mm. light tables, cam- big cameras the size of a room, um, Lots of fun, lots of fun there. So in in that program in high school, they actually got me a 
co-op position at the a university here in town where I worked my senior year of high school after lunch. So I was I was um, fairly fairly lucky to get introduced into that program, and it really set off my career as a designer and creative person in high school. And after high school, did you train as a professional designer, a graphic designer? I took classes at uh, what's now Bellarmine University and the University of Louisville, but I never graduated. Um, the The internet came rolling down like a tidal wave when I was taking classes, and there was no program for that. So I really made the decision to go in that direction instead of the academic path. And you have an affinity for music, and that's sort of related, or maybe that's how your design career got started? Uh, for the most part, yeah. There were um, I played in various bands in high school and in uh, out of high school, and that moved over to the electronic music scene a little bit after that. But yeah, there was a lot of self-promotion, DIY kind of ethic around the, the, the music scenes that I was involved in. So you designed your f own flyers, you um, promoted your own shows, and that, that piece of it was just as interesting to me as the music itself. So I think that definitely influenced my career. What instrument do you play, Jason? Uh, at this point, it's all electronic. So I've got a little studio in my home with... Um, bunch of synthesizers and samplers and drum machines and um, r random assorted equipment. I started with drums, but when you grow up and you move out of your parents' house, a uh, drum set's not a real good place for apartment living. <laughs> no, it's not. I can imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I traded in my drum set for a drum machine so I could have a volume knob, and it was uh, all downhill from there. <laughs> And at some point, you started working as a developer in the late 90s, didn't you? Uh, yeah. It, in the beginning of the web, design and development, like for what, what we call now front-end development, there, there was not much of a distinction. I think those disciplines have crystallized now that we're um, a little bit more mature as an industry. But uh, Learning HTML, knowing how to do a little bit of uh, PHP development. Uh, I did a lot of action scripts, work in Flash, animation, and programmatic kind of stuff um, earlier in my career. So eventually you end up at Via Studio. Uh, what's the origin story with that? Sure. My, my old business partner, Kelly McKnight, started the company in 1996. And he worked at one of the bigger agencies in town um, as a copywriter. And his, his story, he'll tell you, is he went to a conference and he was listening to uh, somebody from Coca-Cola talk about their ad campaigns and whatnot. And apparently this person only talked about the Internet and how much it was going to change marketing and advertising. And he tried to boot up a department within that bigger agency that focused on digital work and it didn't really succeed. So he carved off and took a couple employees with him. Apparently, I think he got sued because of a non-compete. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah. Uh, so, but eventually it worked out and I met him in 2003 when I was more on the, on the hunt for, for my next thing. 
and we partnered up. So you were there right at the beginning of VIA? No, no. He had VIA from 96 to 2003. Oh, I see. It was much earlier that he started. I see, I see. Okay, okay. Right. And so then you you joined VIA. What what are the first things you did there? Oh, it was a lot of cleanup. The uh, <laughs> the reputation the reputation of the company was not very good, and I I had questions from some friends in the industry of you know why would I choose Via? But in all honesty, Kelly was a wonderful business development person. He was a great relationship person. He taught me a lot of the soft skills needed to do what I do now. He just didn't he didn't have someone who knew how to execute on his team. So when we partnered up, he knew how to bring in the prospects. I knew how to get the work done well and had lots of good ideas. So instead of hiring me, we essentially part became business partners. That's a great complimentary relationship to have with a partner like that. Yeah. It was really nice to uh, let him retire and buy out his half of the company uh, when it was time. It was, it was a real honor to be able to kind of see him off well. And did that happen recently? No, it was about six years ago. Okay, so you're not brand new to owning the business. This is this is you're about halfway mm. through <laughs> your tenure at Via, and you've been an owner for half that much. No, no, I've been an owner the whole time. I I, I bought in as an owner. Oh, I see. Yes, I got it now. You bought the rest of the shares. You're full owner now. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, we were 50-50 partners for a long time, and then when it was time for him to retire, uh, we bought out. I bought out his share. What does VIA mean? I mean, I know what it means, but what does it mean in your context? Uh, his idea is the name of the company was you're going to get what you need via the Internet. So that was a good starting point. Uh, the word... the. The, the letter forms and the word look good together. Uh, it's, it's concise. So that's, that's the origin of VIA. I, uh, I was fairly intent on changing the name when I first landed at VIA because obviously I knew everything and <laughs> wanted to change everything. But uh, <laughs> what, was, what was the name you were going to change it to? Oh, I don't even remember. Um, probably nothing is good. Um, but yeah, the, the name's memorable. Uh, People know us really well, especially in this region. We've got a great reputation, so it was it eventually became one of those "if it's not broke, don't fix it" situations. What do you like about your job that you're doing right now? What's the best part? Um, right now, it's the team that we've got and the impact, and specifically in the community uh, that that are super exciting. Uh, we've got a very senior and well-developed development team, design team, account service team, and a strategy team. So we've kind of hit this really wonderful part where every every discipline serves the other one, and the teamwork is just great. So the the other piece of this is our client list and the, the types of work that we're doing right now that's super exciting for me. Um, we're uh, in the middle of a rebrand and a relaunch for the big performing arts organization in town that's about to launch probably probably next week. So I'm just super, super excited to show the world the work we've been doing for the last year and a half with that. Wow, last year and a half, that's a long time to do a project and to get a brand and to re- relaunch everything. I, I, it takes that much time these days when you want to do it right, doesn't it? 
Absolutely. And that is the, 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 the blessing that we've had with the team on the client side is they knew how much work this was going to be. And we've had the space and the collaboration to do it well. So there's, I, I keep looking for things that I think that I would want to change and I can't find any except, you know, maybe finishing faster. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, always, always. Yeah. You always want to do that. But it's, yeah, it's lovely work. Everyone here has gotten to participate in some way, shape, or form. So it, it feels like a true collaboration. Now you guys are based in Louisville, Kentucky. All of your employees are in Louisville, or do you have uh, some remote employees as well? We've had remote employees over the years. We don't have any right this minute. So we're all, we're all in one building here. And the building, as I understand it from our um, conversations in Bend, is actually part of the business as well. You own the building, right? Right. Our My wife and I bought the building about six years ago. It was just a little bit after my business partner retired. And we had been looking for a building to purchase for about two years. And this one came on the market. It was in the right part of town. It was the right price. Uh, and it's it's been another one of those amazing timing mechanisms because the the um, the whole area in this part of town is booming. There's hotels being built. Uh, a distillery came in next door to us. Um, if you yeah, if you know anything about Louisville, we're all about the bourbon. So yes. uh, just we're we're in the middle of all the best restaurants, all the best walking kind of. Uh, tourist kind of things. Um, it's wonderful, and it's even better for property values. Of course. Do you have to act <laughs> as a landlord as well? Um, in in certain ways, we try to keep a clean break between maintenance of the building. Uh, we have a separate LLC that controls the the building that my wife and I own, and we also have uh, four Airbnbs that my wife manages. Uh, one of which is attached to our building. So uh, just trying to keep a clean break between all of those things for uh, accounting purposes and also uh, not, not annoying the staff with weird building issues that we have, you know, like the, the hey, the roof's leaking. It's like, okay, well, that's a, that's, that's, a different, that's a different responsibility. Indeed. Indeed it is. And do you get a chance to do or to flex any more of your creative and design muscles these days like you did early on? Uh, not as much at the office. There's, um, it's, it's more, uh, to the intro there, it's more about the vision of who we are and our values and, and how those uh, work their way into the creative team, uh, to, to the entire team in general, honestly. Um, but my time is better served in the business with business development and kind of uh, tuning the gears, if you will, of the business. So I, I have a carved off and kind of fired up my uh, music hobby in order to to uh, feel like I'm staying in a creative place. Tell me about your music hobby. What What is it? Um, well, it's, are you oh a DJ? Goodness. Are you a DJ? <laughs> well, yeah. So I've I've DJed. I wouldn't call, say I am a DJ, but I've DJed since about 1992 or 93 in various forms. Um, played all over the country, especially back when the rave scene was a big thing. So, so I still do that from time to time. 
uh, we're doing an AIGA Design Week event in September where I'm going to play a live electronic set. So I'm going to bring out all my synthesizers and keyboards and everything and um, see if see if I can do it live. Where, where when is that happening? So we can make sure we link to that. <laughs> um, that is uh, the the date of the event is September 12th, but that entire week of the week of September 9th is design week here in Louisville. So we're actually hosting three or four events at our offices. And then there's Thursday night, the event where I'm going to do a live set. What's your DJ name, Jason? (laughs) (laughs) Um, There, there were a few. Um, It was a strange loop for a while. Uh And I actually just discovered that there's a strange loop now that's signed to a record label that I'd really like. And I'm like, you stole my name. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then we had kind of a group, like electronic band for a while that was called SKL, which stood for Spiritual Crack Laboratory. We were were a little weird. And what do you go by now? What is the name that's going to be on the Louisville set list? I uh at this point it's just Jason Clark. I uh I don't I don't know you know the 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 music hustle is not what I need to be doing in life, you know. It it really I call it my train set because that's uh you know, it's a great hobby. It's good release of creative energy, but it doesn't need to achieve anything financially. So trying to get back into that hustle of having a DJ name and getting booked for shows like that that's that's not interesting to me. No, but it keeps those creative juices flowing, which is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's so much fun to write a song and to put it out in the world. And again, like the whole live thing, try to figure out if you can play it live. That's cool. That's very cool. And you're, as I said in the intro, you're also an art collector, which I did not know uh, when I was, when we first started talking. And I'd love to mm-hmm. find out more about this art collection you have in the office. Absolutely. So, yeah, you found the, uh, the article that Leo Weekly wrote about me. I sure did. Right. And so, yeah, that's, uh, you saw that I have a, a Banksy in my office. Let's so, talk about yeah. that. How did you get that <laughs> Banksy? What is the, I, like, um, what was the story behind that? I, well, uh, the, that whole lane of modern pop art, street art, whatnot, I've, I've been into for a long time. Beautiful, now. isn't it? And, oh yeah, I love it. Well, and it, it goes along with that aesthetic of the, the whole do it yourself, punk rock rave scene aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, it really, you know, that inspires me. You know, I, I don't come, I come from fairly humble roots. So I'm, I, I think it really strikes me the right way. Other artists and other scenes that kind of cook up in themselves. They're not supported by anything else. No. And that's kind of a, one one of the stories of my life is is this you know there's counter con- counter cultural too it's um kind of punk like you said abs yes there's there's a punk aesthetic which is really just you know question everything mm-hmm. and and you can do it yourself you know i've i've always known in my entire career i've always known people that start their own businesses that uh you know make a sacrifice either as far as time or money in order to have more control over their life. So this, this, uh, art aesthetic feels the same way and it's, it's exciting to see that it blossom. Which Banksy do you have? Um, it's called either trolleys or trolley hunters. 
If you do a web search for that, you'll see the image. It's the image of uh, some some natives holding their spears, um, looking at a shopping cart, not really knowing what it is. If you ever read or saw the movie The Gods Must Be Crazy, oh, it, yes. it kind of reminds you. Yeah, it kind of reminds you of that like Coke bottle that falls. Like, what the fuck what is this? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it's a. I'm just looking at the piece now on the internet. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the Bushmen that that had that were right. in the wild, and that Coke bottle fell down, and man, alive. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, how did you get your hands on that? Like, what was the, what happened when you saw it? Where did you get it? And like, did it was it like an instant purchase, impulse oh, buy, no. or like if, no, no, no? It's 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 one of those things. I, I think and this may be one of the things that I'm good at in life is kind of setting a goal and working towards that goal. You know, the business has been that way. The building that we own has been that way. Mm. My art, my art collection has been that way, but you have to figure out how to get there. Right. Like I can't, I could just like go find $40,000 to buy a Banksy print with. Um, (laughs) so, and and I didn't, I didn't pay that much for it. I actually found this one. Um, luckily the, the two things that happened in 2008, 2009, because of the recession, uh, we actually bought the house that we're in, um, our home, and I bought this Banksy print. So the you know the art market's very much like the stock market. If if people panic, they sell things a lot cheaper. <laughs> right, and so, if you're on the right but, side right? of that, you can invest in it. Right, right, yeah, buy low and sell high. So that's 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 kind of the the rule for stocks and and property and that kind of thing. So so yeah, it was um, I. I don't know if you want to talk numbers and it's not about the money really for the art collection, but uh, somebody sold it to me for $3,500 on eBay in 2008. Yeah. And it's, it's worth at least 10 times that if not more at this point, I'm going to ask the question. Do you know that it's real? Yes. Yes. There's um, as soon as I bought it or when I was in the process of buying it, I'd sent it into pest control, which is Banksy's authentication, service um you pay them a little bit of money and they do the research on the the number of the print and and will send you back a a signed banksy certificate of authenticity so i i want to spend a little bit of time talking about this because i happened to read about this a few weeks ago in an article um and it struck me as the most brilliant implementation of an anonymous private public key cryptography that we're so used to on the internet that we're not even like paying attention that it happens. And here it's happening in an analog format with an artist that wants to (laughs) remain anonymous. Right. So nobody knows, nobody knows who Banksy is. He's totally anonymous. So anyone could theoretically print something and say, oh, it's Banksy's without like, you have to have some form of authenticity. And so that's what, that's what this pest control is that you talked about. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. and so basically what happens is you have to request a transfer, I think, from the person you're selling it from, and they have to send a picture of the print to pest control. And then pest control who represent Banksy validate that it's actually real and then send right. you a certificate and apparently on the certificate there's a fake 10 pound bill <laughs> right with lady diana's uh-huh. yep. picture on it and it's yep. it's torn in half and there's some sc- 
script on it. Like there's written a number and nobody actually knows what's on the other half of it. So they're the only ones who can say, yes, this is real or not. So do you actually have that certificate as well? I do, yeah. And uh-huh. it, is that you know, is that framed and also a, a piece <laughs> of art somewhere? Because it could be, right? No, it's actually in a safe deposit box. Um, <laughs> okay. I've, there, the, <laughs> right. I, have a, I have a few art pieces that have certificates of authenticity and provenance. You know, the ones that are worth a lot of money, essentially, uh, the, the galleries and the artists themselves try to keep track of that provenance. So... Any art print that I've got that's worth that much money has some kind of clear line of ownership. So they can say, hey, yeah, print number 82 was sold to, you know, Janet and she sold it on eBay to Jason. And so they can they can track that stuff, which I think is brilliant. I think that's brilliant, too. So there's a lot of uh, counterfeit. Counterfeit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Especially I don't know if you know the artist cause. Um, K A W S. No, uh, I don't. He's he's, uh, he's one to to research. I've got um, probably three or four prints of his that are uh, equally amazing and valuable. Um, but the yeah, like he he's being counterfeited a lot though. Uh, so his his uh, making sure you're purchasing prints or or vinyl. He does a lot of vinyl sculpture toys. Mm. Um, uh, but it, especially in that world, there's a ton of fakes. So just making sure you, if you buy on the secondary market, you've got that provenance. I think pest control is a service. So he could theoretically use that to deal with authenticity as well, I suspect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's true, but I heard a rumor that Banksy's not really doing any more um, prints, like screen print type of work because it's his audience is too big now. Oh. So you release like a part of this is it's scarcity. So doing yeah. a run of a hundred, 150 signed prints, you've got like just the, the entire world going crazy for those things. So he's, he, I don't think he's released a print in an affordable category in, in probably five or six years. Yeah. Who do you, who do you think Bans- Banksy is? I, th- I have my suspicions, but I wonder who you think, <laughs> who do you think he is? Uh, I'm sure he's aligned in some way with the folks from Massive Attack. There's there's enough circumstantial evidence about you know where they are and who they are. Um, but honestly, my guess is that Banksy is probably th- two or three people. Oh, um, I, I you know just and maybe there's one kind of figurehead visionary f- that that is Banksy, but they he does too many. Um, the, the work requires a team that he does. You got to have lookouts. You have to have, you know, the stencils ready if you're doing street art. And the more elaborate productions that, that he does or they do or she does, uh, is, it's too much. Like Dismaland had all these crazy sculptures. Uh, the Waldorf Hotel is an entire freaking hotel. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it, my guess... Um, is that it's a very small collective. So actually, that that is uh, consistent with my guess. So I never thought that they were a collective. I thought it was one person, one of the members of Massive Attack, I would guess. Mm-hmm. But it could be the whole of Massive Attack. I mean, if you think it's a group, maybe it's all of them. I, I, read, I read this one article on the internet that compared Massive Attack tour locations and yeah. times <laughs> with the existence of Banksy art 
and the time of when they were first spotted. And there was a great deal of correlation between the two on the map and in the time. And so that that was evidence that someone claimed that, oh, maybe this is how we can prove that it's actually massive attack. And I, right. I mean, it's great data, but I don't know if I believe it. Um, the style of massive attacks work is very similar, I think, to some mm-hmm. of Banksy's yeah. work. They're both activists. I mean, in both sense, you know, I think they are. And so, I don't know. I'd, I'd be sad to hear that it was not massive attack, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I honestly, I, I don't, like, uh, not not to diminish that, but I, I really don't care. Like, I love the mystery of it. It's yeah. like a, it's like... It's like crop circles. It's like, who cares if it's a math department in some university coming up with cool shit that they're, you know, pressing down in, into fields, or if it's aliens. Like, either way, it's beautiful. It's good stuff. Like, like let the mystery be a mystery. Yeah, that's a, that's a good attitude. I, that's yeah, a good I'm, attitude. Maybe I should I mean, stop thinking about this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, I don't, you know, there's not enough mystery in life in general, especially, you know, in this day and age. It's, it's true. like people aren't content to just not know things. And I think that's dumb. Like that's part of the wonder of life. You know, you lay out in the like outdoors when you're camping and look up at the stars, like you don't have to know what's out there, whether it's God or aliens or nothing like who cares? It's beautiful. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so you mentioned that, you need more than one person uh, doing the street art that Banksy's doing made me think of Shepard Ferry and the fact that he did a lot of his work on his own and then started working with his wife and had a lookout at his, as well. And mm-hmm. you, you have a Shepard Ferry in your office somewhere as well, don't you? Oh, I've got a few. <laughs> do you have, a, um, do you have one of the big uh, prints, the, one of the big Obama prints? Yes, I've got the the, the hope print. Yeah. Yes. Um and it's beautiful and it's up in the office and I'm super proud of it and people offered lots and lots of money for it, but I, I don't know if I'll ever sell that one. That's just defines a moment in in our history now where hope was actually a, a good thing. Yeah, I re- I remember those days as well quite fondly and um how awesome that you have one of those prints. That's that's just great. What what other work of his do you have? Um, I've got one that's called uh, Lotus Ornament, and it's one of the bigger pieces that he does his collage paper technique on. Um, and that's, honestly, that's the thing that I like the most now about Shepard Fairey is the fine artwork that he does. Um, lot, lots of layering, lots of, um, like, wheat paste type of look. Um, and yeah, and so I've got two two prints like that, if you will, that are part of small runs, like one of ten, one of five, um, and I've got a lot of screen prints of his. His his attitude towards the establishment is consi- consistent with Banksy's and what you've been describing as something you like as well. It's it's like if the establishment, right? We're gonna do what we feel like doing, and we'll we'll make art and and try to bring joy to people. Yeah, that's I you know, that's that's important in life and in art and in business. You know, that's I I attribute our success in part because of the fact that we give a shit. Um yeah. it's 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 a you know, our our work with nonprofits and um you know, we've we've done some some mild protest uh kind of stuff here at the office that I'm super proud of. What kind of protest work? 
Like, sit um, in, yeah, tell me about that. We've, well, I, I, I don't know if it's protest or ad, advocacy, um, but one of our clients is Kentucky Refugee Ministries. And as you know, there are a certain contingent of folks in this country now that have a, a platform and don't necessarily like immigration. So <laughs> uh, we've done a lot of work with them. One year I rented a bus and drove um, folks in that immigration program to a restaurant that was hosting a Thanksgiving dinner um, so they could they could get there and back. So that was, I played bus driver for a day on Thanksgiving, which Good is really you. fun. Yeah. Um, a lot of our staff uh, have become mentors for refugees as part of that program. So, you know, they just fall in love with the people. Um, so we've been to the city, the state capital to advocate for immigration reform, you know, I guess immigration support, um, that kind of thing. So that's, that's one of those things that I'm super proud of. And so you should be, this is good work that you're doing. And, and, uh, again, a part of the do something for everyone. So this is uh, Kentucky refugee ministries and that's K Y R M dot org for our listeners. And we'll make sure we link to it from our, uh, web page as well. Correct. Now, yeah. now you started we kind of started talking about Obama and we usually don't talk politics on this po- podcast, but I kind of want to talk a little bit of politics with you. <laughs> mostly, <Yeah. laughs> mostly because let's go there. Let's go there. Let's go there. You're a, <laughs> you're a blue Democrat living in the South in Kentucky. Oh, save me. Get me out of here. Uh, Moscow Mitch. Yeah, Moscow, Moscow Mitch is there. But you actually ran for office in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you do that? Are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> I, I realized I was insane very quickly after I had filed the paperwork. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, let's be serious. Uh, oh, why did you run? What was the real reason? Oh, goodness. I guess I'm an opinionated person. Um, I'm <laughs> fairly well connected in the city. Um, I think uh, having there's a lot of waste in government. Yes, um, so and I, I know so in general, like digital transformation is a big buzzword in our industry right now. So I did like on a practical level, I felt like I could help push things forward from an efficiency perspective. You know, if you ever look into city governments, there are people like they're they price to other like blackberries or like big <laughs> car phones that are the size of whatever. Um, so you know, that was one piece, and another piece is like I, you know, I really give a shit. Like, what's the next thing that I can do that can be of service to our community? And I thought I had the time. And now that I know the person that actually won that seat, I know that I don't have that time. Like, it was just a bad idea. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not close enough to retirement to dedicate that much time and energy to a public office. And what office did you actually run for? Uh, it was Metro Council. So Metro Council is like the, you know, everybody from a specific piece of the city gets together and, and you know, kind of a, a mini Congress for a city, if you will. And when you ran for it, um, you said you don't have the time for it now. You didn't have the time for it. Is it a full-time job to then be a council member on the Metro? I don't, I don't think the expectation is that it's full-time. Um, but the subject matter that they deal with is a lot more day-to-day. Like it's real estate. It's property. 
issues like you know and and honest to be completely honest it's it's a it's a lot of stuff that I wasn't really qualified for well that hasn't stopped politicians lately well <laughs> ain't that the truth <laughs> in my free time um if you call it that i guess i'll let's call it my volunteer time i i'm I've spent that time more sitting on boards for nonprofit organizations and and just trying to use my whatever influence that I have in the city and name recognition to to help move things forward. So probably have more of an effect that way than you would have winning the seat. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I was on a steering committee for what's called the Fund for the Arts here in town, um, just trying to elevate the arts uh, in the city and and as part of like economic development, as part of culture in the city, trying to elevate those things. And I was on that steering committee for pro, pro three or four years. Uh, I've, I rolled off just a couple months ago. When you ran for Louisville Metro Council um, in 2014, so about five years ago, did you, mm-hmm. did you um, have to go through a primary process and then run in the general election? Uh, no, there's no primary slash general with Metro Council. I see. So it's, um, I, yeah, I was on a ballot with 14 other people running for that seat. So um, wow. to be completely honest, and I don't, I don't know if people in our city will, will listen to this, but uh, uh, it, very early in the race, our mayor, who I respect quite a bit, endorsed someone else, um, Bill Hollander, who actually won that seat. Um and I realized very quickly after that there was there was no way I was going to win this with with the mayor having endorsed somebody mm. already. So so it, it was uh, you know it wasn't worth putting the time into. And you know as you've seen with the probably Democratic debates with twenty people trying to win one seat, it's a lot of noise. And I just don't have the patience for that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I. I. It's. Oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the Democratic um, run for president now, isn't there? You're right. There's a ton of noise. I don't know how to feel about that. On one hand, I feel like it's good that there's so many people who are interested in unseating the current president. But on the other hand, I really wish there was a, a candidate that was clear and, you know, this is absolutely the person that is going to take it, you know, bring it home. Right. I do think, you know, it's good to have a lot of voices in there at first to let the let the most qualified person elevate to the top. But there are some people that are clearly doing it just for self-promotion and PR purposes. Like if you if you know you don't have a chance to win, you're you're getting in everybody's way. So please, for the love of God, you know, (laughs) hick and looper. Just, like, find another way to get some attention, please. <laughs> okay, so I guess Hickenlooper isn't on your short list. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm a, I will support any candidate that runs against Trump. Let's lay that out. But I'm, if, if I had to pick, uh, Elizabeth Warren's my person. I really? Can, yeah, yeah, she's my person. You know, I think I agree with you. I she has a lot of good ideas. She's well spoken. She has policies that make sense. She cares about everybody, um, and she's also a woman. Which, um, right? You know, another great thing about it. Why? Why another man? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Well, and this is you know, for someone like Sanders or Biden, who again I'll, I'll vote for in a heartbeat if they win, but. If your platform isn't much different than a woman, 
let her take it. This is the age where we can, we should step back. If we don't need that power, give it, give it to a more diverse range of human beings, please. I agree with you. I agree with you. Well, we'll see what happens. I, I wonder when the first few members of that 20-person 20, 20 team start dropping <laughs> off, right? Is it the beginning oh. of next year? How many more yeah. months of this do we yeah. endure? Well, and, you know, that's if let, let the process play out. If, if you know, if some of these bozos want to stay in the loop and try to get, you know, a, a talk show afterwards, I, I guess that's okay. Um, but, you know, as people who follow politics, it's a little exhausting right now. It is. It is. I, I, can, under, I can understand why the majority of people wait until there is a one candidate. Yeah, it's a whole lot easier. I can't believe we actually got into politics on the podcast. I think this is the first time we've done that. Sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> um, I, you know, I've, I've been talking to friends about this, and I think, like, the, the fight between good and evil always exists. And as human beings, the last two generations after World War II, we haven't had to fight for our beliefs. Yeah. So I, I, th- I, th- I think we've gotten soft. Like I, I think that, you know, everyone needs to take a stand for what they believe in and I, not to like, we need another civil war or anything crazy like that, but that's like, we have to be diligent. That's part of our jobs as human beings is to be diligent and to speak up when we see, um, you know, power dynamics at play or racism at play or misogyny in play. Uh, It's our job. Or misinformation that's at play. Yeah, exactly. Like, so that's, it's, it's, um, I enjoy, and I guess this is another Pete, is I, I enjoy a good debate. I live in Kentucky, so I've got a lot of friends and family that are lean right or lean fascist. Mm. And I, I I still love them as people and I'm going to engage with them, right? I'm going to have these debates and we might never agree, but if you can lay eyes on somebody, they have a lot more uh, ability to empathize. Yeah. Well, I don't envy that position. It's a little easier up in uh, the upper Midwest here, but there are still debates that have that happen up here as well. So, I like it's not <laughs> it's it's not all hunky dory as well. So, I Right. I, yeah. Well, I I think on that note, we're going to bring it to a close. Thanks Jason so much for spending your time with me today. It's been so awesome speaking with you. Yeah, it's been super fun. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for being on. Jason Clark is president and CEO of Via Studio, and you can find them online at viastudio.com. And of course, you can find Jason in most places online as Clarkster, C-L-A-R-K-S-T-E-R. You've been listening to the 107 podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We do love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening.